a lot of leaders get it wrong and they start off with happy shareholders. Happy shareholders are always a byproduct of you being a vision-oriented, grounded, passionate leader who sees opportunity, who values humanity in the perspectives of the team and is humble enough to say, hey, my job's not to know it all. My job's to surround myself with people who know exactly what we need. That's decision-making and influence. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. While there are a ton of other leadership podcasts out there on the interwebs, this is the only one solely dedicated to developing undergraduate leaders in numerous fields. We bring in interesting leaders from a variety of disciplines and industries to dish out practical advice for entrepreneurial undergraduates embarking on their professional careers. You'll hear from leaders operating at all levels, CEOs and other C-suite individuals who are at the top of their industries, mid-career professionals only several years removed from their college days, and young leaders in school who are already doing amazing things. We feature leaders from business, diplomacy, education, journalism, engineering, law, medicine, and the sports world. It's all part of our mission here at the Pusino Leadership Institute. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. My name is Audrey Pennington, and I'm the director of this podcast, but today I'm your host. I am thrilled to be speaking with Daniel Harkavy for this episode. So over the past 25 years, Daniel Harkavy has coached thousands of business leaders to peak levels of performance, efficacy, and fulfillment. In 1996, he harnessed his passion for coaching teams and leaders and founded Building Champions Incorporated, where he serves as CEO and executive coach. Today, the company has nearly 50 employees with a team of 20 executive and leadership coaches who provide guidance to thousands of clients, some of which include Bank of America, Chick-fil-A, Nike, MetLife, Pfizer, and many others. Daniel delivers one-on-one -on -one executive coaching sessions, executive retreats, speaking engagements, and custom on-site experiences for business leaders and teams around the world with a focus on helping his clients to improve their performance and results in business and life. And in 2016, Daniel co-authored with a friend and former client, Michael Hyatt, the best-selling book, Living Forward, A Proven Plan to Stop Drifting and Get Life You Want. And in 2007, he authored Becoming a Coaching Leader, The Proven Strategy for Building Your Own Team of Champions. But today, he is here to discuss his latest book, The Seven Perspectives of Effective Leaders. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Audrey. Thanks for allowing me to be your guest. Absolutely. So for our listeners, can you give a brief overview of what exactly the seven perspectives of effective leaders is about? Yeah, it's, uh, it's all about in that title, helping leaders to be more effective. And when you look at the complexity of leading an organization, for-profit or not-for-profit, it's insanely difficult. And every few years, uh, the challenges get more difficult. And as you and I are recording this, uh, we both know that the challenges for leaders in the last year or so have been some of the greatest, if not the greatest that we've ever faced. So I wrote the book as a result of uh, my work in organizations, helping leaders to think about leadership in a more digestible, easy to understand and implement model. So we have organizations that have followed the seven perspectives for the last five or six years. And basically I say that if you have intentional curiosity, two really important words. You can't act like you know it all. So you have to bring intentional curiosity to these seven different perspectives. And if you do, then you'll make better decisions and have more influence. And that's the big thing that everybody needs to hear. Those are the only two things that matter. Yes, you need to have integrity 
but that's required in order just to be a leader, right? A good leader, but to be an effective leader, you need to make great decisions and you have, have to have maximum influence. The seven perspectives helps you to do just that, grow in both. So how did you decide on the seven and how did you decide to limit it to seven? Because I know there's so many that you could have chosen to be you know, the top priorities, but how did you decide? So, so that's a fun story because years ago, it used to be the five. And there was a little joke between my wife, Sherry, and I. She would, she would ask, you know, how do you, how do you limit it to five? What makes you think there's only five? And we would talk back and forth and it was always in jest. You know, I think I, I shared with you before the show, Sherry and I had been in each other's lives since we were 11, married 32 years. So we got a cool friendship. Uh, we only know each other. And uh, so, so anyways, um, you know, what makes you think there's, gonna, there's five, only five. And then I realized a little while later, maybe a few years later, that the first perspective, which is current reality, I used to put the customer's perspective in that. I used to think you could cover it with that, but then the more time I spent with the best CEOs and I understood how much time CEOs spent sitting down face-to-face with their customers to truly understand what their customers needed, I, I said, you know what, this is so big, I need to pull it out. So it went from five perspectives to six. So then, you know, in all humility and embarrassment, I came back to Sherry and to my team. I'm like, hey, folks, there's, there's six perspectives because that team perspective is really important. And I was going to write the book and I just didn't have peace with it. And I, again, the ribbing and the jokes about six, you know, all the, what makes you think there's only six? Oh, there's only six. And I was like convinced, Audrey, I was like, there's only six. And, and then a little while went by and I was in the shower and I was just kind of, you know, you know what you do, you just kind of daydream and think about things. And, and I was thinking about my last two days. And in my last two days, I had been with the, the chairman of Daimler Trucks Global. So Martin Dom, he's in the book, he's a client, a great friend. And, and Martin, you know, Daimler owns Mercedes-Benz, that's Daimler's Mercedes-Benz. So Mercedes-Benz pass car, Mercedes-Benz trucks, and Mercedes-Benz finance, three big businesses. And I'd spent one day with Martin, and then the next day I'd spent with Cliff Robinson and he's in the book too. And he's in charge of people at Chick-fil-A. And I've done a lot of work with the executive team there over the last. Like, they do uh, a good job. So it shows. Yeah. Uh, I've worked almost their entire executive team. We've coached hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people in that organization. So they're great friends. And I was thinking about my role in Cliff's life and in Martin's life the two days before. And I was just thinking, I am their thinking partner. The role I play is to ask, to listen, to question, to challenge, to encourage, but I'm the thinking partner. And as I was just thinking about how both of those days ended, it was, I was super grateful because both of the days ended with them leaving with a lot of energy and a lot of clarity and a lot of focus. And I felt like it was a great investment of my time. And then all of a sudden it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, these leaders need the perspective of the outsider because inside your own global, inside your own organizational bubble, it can become a bit of an echo chamber. And all you hear is what people think you want to hear. And that outside perspective is really hard to get, but the best leaders, they meet with outsiders to run through the first six perspectives through them. And, and then they, they glean benefit from that outsider and that outsider helps them to think better. So, you know, to continue the story of humility, I stick my head out of the shower room and I'm like, Sherry, you're not going to believe it. There's a seventh perspective. And I'm like, and it's it. 
It's brilliant. It's what we do at Building Champions. That's what the business I've been in for 25 years. I'm done. Now I can write the book. And she laughed at me. Oh, what makes you think there's seven? I'm like, seven's the perfect number. We're done. And I'll tell you what, I, as soon as that seventh one clicked, it was like the final little tumbler in the lock. And I knew it was seven. I mean, there's, there's so many books written on leadership, on strategy, vision, team health, team effectiveness. There, there's so many books. The, the topic of leadership's huge. But this is a framework and it connects the leadership dots and makes it super straightforward so that if you're a new leader, if you'll bring intentional curiosity into these first five perspectives, current reality, long-term vision, strategic bets, the perspective of the team, and the perspective of the customer, those five, discipline and curiosity, that influences the sixth perspective, which is your role, which is always evolving. Then you run all of those by the outsider, that thinking partner. That thinking partner helps you to gain better understanding in the first five. It affects the six, your role and how you operate and you become more effective because you make better decisions and your influence grows. So I really believe, you know, even now after I made the commitment to seven, it's been a couple of years, the book came out in October, but you know, it takes me a few years to write a book. I don't believe there's an eighth. I think it's, it's seven and it works. So there you go. Long answer to uh, the seven. Yeah. And it makes it digestible. I mean, sevens and easily, you can easily remember that number. It, you can mentally, as you're you know, faced with these leadership challenges, you can go down through all seven points and be like, am I, where am I messing up? You know? So it simplifies yeah. it. I like that. So earlier you, you talked about a little bit about the pandemic. So you describe in the book, you describe the world we live in currently as a VUCA or VUCA world for listeners. That's VUCA standing for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, especially now during the pandemic. So I want to focus particularly on those perspectives one and two, which are current reality and vision. These obviously look very different today for most people than they did before last March. So what advice do you have for leaders attempting to navigate and plan ahead in these different weird, unprecedented times? Yeah. So I think perspectives one and two are the two critical points on your GPS. Okay. VUCA Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity is a term that's been used in the military for probably 30 years, late, late 80s, and used in business for the last five to 10 because of the pace of change of technology, globalization, and then I've added over the last few years just how um, society believes, thinks, and behaves as a result of social media and news. So you're seeing some pretty crazy things in the world, and it creates this sense of VUCA. So, you know, we were living in VUCA in February of 2020 mm -hmm. because of those three realities. That's so true. when the pandemic hit, and then for us in the United States, it got compounded. After the pandemic, you had the most horrific situation with social injustice and us seeing we have some systemic and belief challenges that are going to need to get dealt with. And then you had one of the most, oh, golly, um, we'll just call it one of the most conflicted political landscapes that I've ever seen and yeah. super dividing. So you look at what we've been through and now here we are, it's vaccine time, which is gonna again polarize and it's gonna create real division. So, so leaders no longer see their teams face-to-face, -face, most, most leaders, most businesses. Um, leaders have had to adjust their role significantly and how they engage with team. 
And early on, back March, April, May, the whole focus was trying to get your arms around perspective one current reality. And, and current reality is, is required in order for you to be an effective leader. This is your starting point, perspective one. If you can't articulate your current state, if you have lost touch with the mechanics of the business, what got you here, how the business actually functions, the key metrics, the key levers, which a lot of leaders do lose touch with. That's where the term, Audrey, the, um, the ivory tower leader. Well, the ivory tower leader is the leader that's so disconnected from current reality that the team sits there and doesn't trust them. They don't trust their decisions because they don't understand. So their decisions are poor, their influence sucks. In today's times, everyone's needed to get their arms around the shift in current reality. And I don't care what business you're in. I do these CEO roundtables where just next week, I'll have probably 14 CEOs of some of the largest businesses, chairman, chairman of different boards. They'll all be on the screen. And um, over the last year or so, we've been really wrestling with what is current reality and how does it look? And you split the screen in half and some of the businesses have experienced great headwinds. And these great headwinds are causing them to have to fight for their life. They're in cash conservation. They're in uh, really difficult conversations week after week now for months. And the other half of the screen have had immense tailwinds. They're having record profits, record revenues. Their business was right, right place, right time. They pivoted quickly and they're doing great. So current reality is one where you need to keep your eye on it. You need to acknowledge that it changed because if your starting point on your GPS changes, everything changes. You know, the directions you get on your GPS on Waze or Google or whatever it is, it, they're worthless if your current reality doesn't update. Well, our current reality needed to update. Perspective two is vision. What's your longer term vision? Three, four, five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road for your business. And at Building Champions, our executive coaching company, we say that a, a great vision answers three questions. What do we belong to? Who are we going to become? And what are we going to build? If you can articulate answers to those in a clear and compelling way, then you can build plans and you can engage heads and hearts of people. So long-term vision shouldn't change. Long-term vision might need an edit. Uh, it might be under the build, but most organizations, their vision hasn't changed. So in the pandemic, the best leaders have been really grounding that vision and sharing it over and over again and making sure that perspective three, their strategic bets strategic bets grounded in current reality so that you have the resources anchored to your long-term vision so that you know why you're executing them because bets sometimes don't pay off and they're difficult. They, they require change thinking and thinking and behavior in the organization. If you're going to execute well, you need to have those two realities that grounding in current reality and anchored in long-term vision. Well, if you have such a shift in current reality, there's a chance your strategic bets shifted. So in 2020, we worked with a lot of businesses to help leaders to identify whether their bets still needed to be pursued or whether they need to be, needed to be paused. Like, hey, no longer makes sense. We need to preserve cash. We need to more research. The customer buying trends may have changed. We may need to pause on this one and do some more research. Or we may need to pivot. And we're positioned really well. We've got some assets and resources. We can do something overnight. And instead of a an 18-month strategic bet execution timeframe, we can do this in 90 days. And we saw a lot of businesses do that. So that's been the, the conversation in the pandemic. And then it leads to the next couple of perspectives, but I'll give you a chance to respond before we go there. 
So in your book, you write that leadership effectiveness is determined by the decisions you make and influence you have. That's like the main theme of the book is those two things. Can you expand just a little bit on this and why you chose just those two things going back to the numbers? Yeah. So I am a, I'm a simple guy and I have a belief that what's simple to understand is then easier to actually get done. And if you want to create movement and if you want to get organizational lift, you try to take the complex and make it as simple and digestible as possible. That's brilliance. In my opinion, when you can take the complicated and make it simple, you've hit on something because now more people benefit from it. So I, I had conversations, Audrey, with many leaders over the journey from five perspectives to seven, many leaders. And I would always start these conversations off. I, I can think of breakfasts and I can think of lunches and dinners with different leaders. And I had so many conversations where I would say, hey, I've got a question for you. I got a theory. There's only two things that determine a leader's effectiveness, just two, their decision-making and their influence. Debate with me, argue with me, prove me wrong, please. And then they would try, the great leaders. All right, well, and Horst Schultze was one of the founders of the Ritz-Carlton Hotels. And if you've ever heard Horst, he's a little bit older than I am. And he's got the strong German accents. And he's like, well, that, and he's written a great book too. He's, he's amazing. Like follow Horst, he's, he's amazing. But Horsty says, Daniel, there's integrity. And I said, no, 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 Horsty. Integrity is required in order for you to be a good leader. Okay, that's, that's a given. You have to have, have integrity. And there's all sorts of books that have been written on integrity and governance and ethics and, and being a whole person as a leader. This book's about an effective leader. My question is, to be effective, isn't it all boiled down to decisions and influence? So then you, you, and he was the only one that argued it. And then he came around. He's like, yeah, you're right. Uh, Frank Blake was the former CEO of Home Depot, eight years. The guy's a stud. He's amazing. And now he's the non-executive chair of Delta Airlines. Both of these guys are in the book. They contributed, Horstie and, and Frank. And, and Frank made a comment. I was interviewing him and you, you can see the interview on the Seven Perspectives website. I think there's a whole series of interviews with some of these folks. But uh, Frank was saying, you know, Daniel, the first time you said decisions and influence, that's it. He said, you know, I sat back and I agreed. I thought, you know what? He's right. And then he said, you said it again. And I started really challenged. Like, is that right? Is that right? And then he said, the third time you said it, he said, I thought, man, that is really brilliant because that is it. So you think about it. Decision-making. Who are you going to put in what roles and why? And then once you have them in the right roles, what inputs are they going to give to your strategy? And then once you've got that, how are you going to align the organization? What decisions are you going to make to align the organization from a people and process perspective in order to get results? And then decision-making, who's going to make the decision? Who on the team has the expertise to make the decision? So you have to make a decision about who's going to make the decision. So we're talking about everything from the, the lowest level of decision-making, which takes place on the front line with managers, all the way up to the CEO. The CEO is making fewer decisions, but the magnitude is huge, but you better make great decisions. You better make great decisions. Now you can be all alone and make great decisions. And if you don't have followers, you're not going to go anywhere. If you don't have a team that is in with you on the decision-making, if they haven't weighed in, if they haven't shared, if your customers haven't shared, well, then they don't feel heard and they're not going to be as bought in. 
So the more that you question and engage and, and bring out the opinions and perspectives of those around you, and the more curiosity you have, knowing that you don't need to know it all, you need to surround yourself with the smartest people and you need to ask the best questions, then influence grows because now you're doing what you're supposed to do as a leader, which is to cast vision, organize a team, help them to position themselves to win, position them then to execute on strategies that will move them towards that vision and all of it so that you wow and please the customer. And if you do all of that right and you've got the right business model, well, then the report card is quarterly earnings. Quarterly earnings aren't the thing that you're focusing on. They're the report card at the end. Now you have happy shareholders, but a lot of leaders get it wrong and they start off with happy shareholders. Happy shareholders are always a byproduct of you being a vision oriented, grounded, passionate leader who sees opportunity, who values humanity and the perspectives of the team and is humble enough to say, hey, my job's not to know it all. My job's to surround myself with people who know exactly what we need. That's decision-making and influence. There are two halves to the whole, Audrey. I see that. I see that. All right. So, so this one's a little bit more applies to my generation. Um, so you write that confidence often trumps certainty, that effective leaders must know when to move forward, even when they're not 100% certain of the decision. This is something that I personally have struggled with and have worked on with my leadership coach that I had through the Institute. And something I believe a lot of young leaders, especially my age group, struggle with solely because they don't have too many years of experience. I mean, they come out of college, they, they're looking for a job. And that's not really a confident place to be in. So how can young leaders grow their confidence even with minimal leadership experience and how can they prepare to basically enter the workforce after they've graduated? So I love your demographic. And I shared with you, I just started a not-for-profit called Set Path, and it's to bring life planning and self-leadership to America's youth. I have kids ranging in age from 30 down to 17 not only the four kids that Sherry and I have, but we raised and had nine others live with us over the years. And they're all in your age range. You know, they're in their, the teens to now 30s. And I um, really like to help them to understand faulty narratives. See, faulty narratives, our beliefs are what hold us back from moving forward. So I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable with me and let's make this super interesting for your listeners. I want you to fill in the blank for me, Audrey. Failure blanks me. What's the first word that comes to you? Worries. Okay. Thank you for being honest. And I want to have a coaching session with you because if you want to learn how to grow in confidence, you need to put failure in its appropriate place. I'm decades older than you. The word that goes in there is teaches. Failure teaches me. I've failed and I have failed and I have failed, Audrey, in so many areas as a leader and in life. And if I look at failure and I think failure is something to be afraid of, right? Because it's terminal or because it will define me or because it will impact my identity, my personhood and who I am. Well, then what I've done is I've put failure in a very unhealthy place. It becomes the, the master on the throne. And I just want to please it. I don't want failure to enter in. But anyone who accomplishes anything great, they know they're going to fail along the way. They're going to. Read the autobiographies of all of those who have invented and disrupted and created. And they will tell you how every single failure was a learning moment. And this is my answer to your question around confidence and uncertainty. 
no one's ever certain about anything. We're not. If you do a lot of the, the work in neuroscience and research and social behavior and on how we humans function, we're emotional beings that use logic to prop up our decisions, not the other way around. So we're biased. And certainty, if you wait to be certain in most things, you'll wait too long and you won't make the decision. You won't move forward. The seven perspectives gives you all of the right inputs so that you can have the confidence to make the decision. If you get to 80% of the way there, it's like, you know what? I'm pretty comfortable with it. Can I still fail? Sure. But is it terminal? What's the worst case? Just understand that. You know, I just love the fact that, you know, your leader put you on the podcast with me. And we had a conversation before and I asked you how you were doing a little nervous. Well, you know what? You're willing to take the risk and it's awesome because if you'll take the risk and put yourself in an uncomfortable place and you learn to do that over and over again, you learn that failure isn't terminal and it's teaching, it's learning. I wrote that book, Becoming a Coaching Leader back in 2005. So what was that like 16 years ago? Yeah. So I was probably 40 then. Yep. And in there, I tell a story of when I was your age, I was in mortgage banking and I was a, like, I got into it at 20 and 23, I was given an opportunity to lead a branch. And then I went on at like 27 to head up production. I had offices throughout the Western United States and I really accredit it to some great mentorship, but also my relationship with failure. I wasn't afraid to fail. And I tell a story about how every day, if my palms didn't sweat, if I didn't put myself in a situation by calling on the most successful person or trying to network with the, the most influential leader, or if I didn't do that, if I didn't make my palms sweat and get super nervous, well, then I didn't play to win. So I'm going to tell you play to win and make your palms sweat every day. You guys take risks. Failure is not anything that will, it, it, it does not define you. It teaches you. So it's something that you actually embrace and you know, you're going to, you're going to fail. That's why I call strategic bets, bets. They're not guarantees. Like I've spent so much money, time and energy on strategies and, and they failed. And it's like, oh yeah, failed. What'd we learn? Let's do a postmortem. Let's learn. Now what do we do? That's the way you do it. That's a perspective that I need to adopt more. I mean, I have failures that I can look back on. They, I mean, they have been teaching moments. They have in the end, you know, I don't always think about it that way, but they have, led to me becoming better. So so wait, before you go on, I need to do something for you. Absolutely. I asked you that question knowing you were going to give me that answer. So I, I don't want you to feel like, oh shoot, I was on a podcast and I said that and I'm the only one. No, no. I asked you that because I knew that was coming. I asked that to audiences when, back when I was with audiences, you know, live mm. and on the virtual webinars we do, I do it all the time. I always ask people, hey, failure blanks me. And when I'm with people who are 40, 50, 60, the majority of them say, scares me, worries me. And some sadly will say, defines me. Mm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, people, none of us have it together. We're all learning. We're all doing our best. We're all trying to figure it out. But those that are doing the most amazing things are willing to take the risk and they're willing to, to fail and to say, yes, I failed. And it's okay. I tried. And this is what I learned. And now this is what I'm going to do. Get that one right, man. I'm telling you, get that one right. Read the book by Dr. Carolyn Zweck on mindset, if you haven't. It's the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. For people your age, it's one of the best books to read. And then read Living Forward by Daniel Harkavy. Selfless <laughs> promotion and plug. You mentioned this earlier, actually, um, before we even started the, uh, the interview. 
So I just figured I'd touch on it again. In our leadership institute, a student's first year or two revolves around learning to lead themselves so that in their third and fourth years, they can learn and develop their ability to lead others. Essentially, we teach that one must learn to lead his or herself in order to effectively lead others. You wrote something similar to this also in the book, and you mentioned it earlier. What are your thoughts on this and how important basically is it? It's like the be all end all of leadership. As an executive coaching company, once in a while, we get called into the, uh, the 911 situations where there's been a significant challenge with the leader. That's not the majority of our work. The majority of our work are with organizations that are cranking and they just want to figure out how to go further faster. They want to you know, skip unnecessary steps uh, in order to be um, even you know, more effective in what they're doing. With all leaders, we always start with self-leadership. And you will hear me say this over and over again. Self-leadership always precedes team leadership. Team leadership always precedes organizational leadership. Or said another way, self-leadership always precedes team effectiveness and team effectiveness always precedes organizational impact. You're always working on all three. I have a core belief at Building Champions. We say this, better humans make for better leaders. I look at how we were created, what we're created for. We're created to do amazing things and to be in community with amazing people. Um, but we need to be real and we need to be present. And when you look at leaders who have been leading for decades, they leave kind of a wake behind them. And you know that, that reputation, that, that, that influence that you've had in other people's lives, what happens is the better you are at leading yourself in all areas of your life, the more engaged people will be with you in your vision, in your mission, your purpose, and where you're going. If they see gaps, if they see a lack of integrity, or if they see behaviors that they don't want in their own life, they will make conscious and subconscious decisions about what level of engagement they'll have with you. The best leaders are those that lead themselves really well. You know, they're pouring into their marriages, they're present with their kids, they're taking care of their health. You know, they've got their faith piece figured out. They're making a difference outside of work. They're multidimensional beings and not just solely focused on the business because at some point that winds up empty and people see it. So how you lead yourself over the long run, this is a marathon. It's an ultra marathon and it's everything. I know I, when I started this stuff, I thought all of this stuff would work. I was 30 when I started building champions and, and now I'm a grandpa at 56 and, and I am so grateful for some of these self-leadership models. And that's that book, Living Forward. It's all about life planning. That's what Set Path is about, our not-for-profit. It's all about life planning and mentorship to help young people to build a plan that enables them to accumulate net worth in all areas of their life, not just their careers and their material. There's more to life than just those two. They're important. Career and material are important. But if those are the only two you see, you'll give your leftovers to everything else and you'll wind up with some significant regret. And I can tell you, honestly, tens of thousands of stories of people who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who were successful in business, but a lot of regret because they missed opportunities they can never go back and regain. 
So one last question. Um, in today's world for undergraduates leaving school and entering the workforce, uh, like I'll be doing next year, I keep hearing the importance of adaptability and flexibility. I know you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I keep hearing that I need to be able to take in information, use it to plot the best course of action, and then make the pivot whenever I need, and always be prepared to change if needed. And I think that with the pandemic, that that's, you know, all the plans that I made in February, March, basically I had to scrap those and come up with something new to figure out how I was going to make the best decisions in the time that I was given. So how can the seven perspectives help me and under, other undergraduates with this? It's a, a really great question. And at the end of every year, I'll take a, a day or two and I live in Oregon. I've got a little place on the coast. I like surfing and I go there all the time. And I take a day or two at the end of the year to reflect on the year, review my life plan, and then capture the big lessons for the year. And one of the big lessons for me at the end of 2020 was circumstances change, mission doesn't. Circumstances change, mission doesn't. Perspective two, vision shouldn't change. Perspective one, current reality or circumstances, they change. Now, they didn't just change in 2020. They've been changing forever. Circumstances are always changing. And the people who are most successful in life and in business, they understand that. And they don't allow the circumstances to become the object of their focus. They put them in their rightful place. And then they focus on the bigger picture so that they can fulfill the mission and they do that in ways that enable them to take all of the circumstances into consideration, and that's where they adjust. So for somebody coming out of school, you know, I think if I'm you, a lot of what I like to do with people is, you know, especially when you're looking for work, really understand what a day in the life of the role looks like. Do as much as you can to interview people to find out what's it like now to do your job. And what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? What frustrates you? If you could change anything, what would it be? Ask really good questions of people who are doing the work that you're considering going and doing. And if you're looking at one type of a role, one type of a position, and there's several companies, then you're looking for questions about the company. So what's it like to work in this environment? What do they do to bring out the best in you? You know, what do they do that frustrates you? You take in all this information. If your mission is to use your schooling and your gifts and your passion in this way, company A might say you're going to do it from home five days a week. And company B might say you're going to do it from home three days a week. And company C might say, well, you're going to do it in this collaborative way. And company D might say, well, you know, you're actually not going to do that, but we're going to give you a modified role. And it looks like this, we're going to tap into your education, but you're going to have to do this for a while. Keep your eyes focused on the end game. And understand that what will happen, especially in your first job, most likely won't be what you expect. But do your homework so that you go in eyes wide open and talk to those folks and digest it and, and figure out what feels right. The next thing I would say on that, and this is really not um, answering your question, but I want everyone to hear it at your age. Work is a four-letter word. It's not always peaches and cream. It's hard. And the best of the best get comfortable with the uncomfortable. They get comfortable with the fact that this isn't fair. Why does he or she get all the fame and all the glory when I'm here doing all the work? You know, why am I being overlooked when they're not? There are all these head games that take place. It's work. It's hard. The best of the best are always looking at how do I add the most value? And something my dad taught me when I was your age, and uh, it's been just beautiful for me over the years when I actually worked in a business, not for myself, was every day strive to make your boss look better than he or she is. 
always do it and allow them to take the credit because then they climb the ladder and guess what? They left a vacuum for you. They left a spot for you and they saw how well you did and you're climbing right there with them. So as long as it doesn't compromise integrity, you always do the best you can to help other people. That's just key. I'm excited to edit this and to go through and listen again, just so I can hear all of this a second time. All right. So that's just about it for time. Um, Is there anything that I didn't ask about that you wanted to touch upon or add on before we close out? Yeah. So if people want to learn more, you can look at the Building Champions website and Building Champions has a whole bunch of resources. And we give a lot of these tools away. That 3B vision tool, we give it away. One page business plan, the life planning tool that is living forward. And all of my books are on the Building Champions website. You can follow me on Facebook or on uh, LinkedIn. And then we have a Building Champions podcast that uh, is really pretty cool. So we've had some neat guests on it, really unique guests. And I think people at your uh, stage of life and what you guys are doing would probably find value in that. And then if you're interested in the whole life planning piece, Set Path is something that you're going to want to check out too, because that's going to be a freebie and you're the people we want to help. So Absolutely. You're awesome. Thank You're you. Awesome. It's been great spending time with you. I really, really enjoyed our conversation, Audrey. It absolutely has. And all those things you just mentioned for our listeners, I'll be sure to link them in the episode description. Um, so if you're interested, it'll be super easy to click on, as well as the new book, Seven Perspectives of Effective Leaders, that will be linked. All right. So it looks like that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you, Daniel, for coming on our show today. And uh, to our listeners, we'll see you next week. Excellent, Audrey. Thank you. On behalf of everyone at the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank all of our podcast listeners, the podcast team, as well as 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio for allowing us to use their facilities. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership and on Twitter at Shu Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.